For almost a hundred years, the work of transportation professionals has been guided by three E's, education, enforcement, and engineering. Unfortunately, the U.S. is falling behind other countries when it comes to providing safe, efficient, and sustainable transportation options. At the same time, the way we move is undergoing a sea change. It seems like hardly a year goes by without new modes of travel coming onto the scene. It's time for us to rethink our traditional focus on the three E's. Not only are education enforcement and engineering not enough, in some cases, they're actively preventing us from solving problems that we know exist and we know yeah. how to solve. To create a 21st century transportation system that moves people and centers on the needs of communities, we need ethics, equity, and empathy. How can we use the emotion and the, the passion we're talking about that's really been missing from a lot of the traffic safety work? How can we bring that to bear to help our safety work be truly equitable? From Tool Design Group, this is the new ease of transportation. I'm Jennifer Tool. There's really no better example of the reasons behind this than the Vision Zero movement. And so we have on the line with us today, Leah Shayam. Leah is the executive director of the Vision Zero Network, which is a national advocacy group with a mission to support cities implementing Vision Zero. Um, they put out fantastic resources. Leah, we're so excited to have you with us on our very first inaugural podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. It's an honor to be here. We also have Andy Clark. Andy is the director of strategy here at Tool Design Group. And among many other hats, has managed quite a few of our Vision Zero projects. So welcome to Andy. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here and delighted to have Leah with us because for me, Vision Zero has brought into focus the reason why engineering, education, and encouragement aren't enough. I've spent 30 years organizing my professional life around those three E's, but it turns out they're not really providing us the tools and the guidance and the information and the structure we need to, to do the job in front of us. Yeah, when I think about how many presentations that I've done that started out with, okay, everybody needs to understand the three E's or the four E's or the five E's. Leah, what is it about Vision Zero that demands a different approach and why isn't the conventional way of tackling traffic safety enough? One of the strengths of the Vision Zero approach is that it really is bringing people and, and the human experience more front and center to the work of traffic safety. You know, for a long time, it's been very kind of professionalized and everybody's got their worlds, right? You've got your engineers, you've got your police, you've got your policymakers. And I'd say un, unwittingly, we've also gotten very siloed in that work. And I think a big component that hasn't taken main stage as much is really the communities that this is really benefiting, right? It's about people. And then we dig a little deeper and find, hey, you know, there's certain communities that are really hardest hit by unsafe streets. And there's certain communities that have really been underserved. So how do we really dig underneath, you know, the data, which is so important, but really get to, you know, the communities we're actually serving with this work. And, and I think that's a big part of what you guys are doing, try, really trying to expand the ease. And this isn't one of the ease that we're talking about initially, but emotion is clearly a a key part of Vision Zero and the ability it gives you to go beyond the, the warrants and the manuals and stuff and to actually get mad about people getting killed. That's a great point, Andy. It's not like people in the past didn't care. Of course they cared. But it's almost as if kind of, again, the professional world around traffic safety has 
has kept it all very, you know, above board and, well, this is our job and we can only do this, this and this. Things like level of service or design standards, they're real things, they're important things. Yet, I think partly this emotion that you're referring to with the work of Vision Zero and frankly getting more survivors involved, victims' families and, and victims themselves, part of what that's doing is frankly bringing that emotion forward more and, and I think questioning the status quo with 40,000 traffic deaths a year in the country and in the U.S. every year, we know that's unacceptable, right? We should be morally outraged. And I, I think we need this kind of emotion, the fire in the belly, in order to change the status quo. Jennifer mentioned I had the privilege of working on a number of Vision Zero projects uh, for tool design. And one of the early ones, it's a jurisdiction where they've got a great trail system and where that trail system crosses big roads, they've had a number of traffic safety issues. And one crossing that's had two fatalities where traffic engineers, because of the warrants and the manuals and level of service and speed requirements, haven't been willing to put in a protected crossing to get people safely across the, the major road that's like a 45 mile an hour four lane highway because they don't want to stop traffic. They try through education, through signs, through warning signs, through more warning signs to try and prevent people getting killed. And it hasn't worked twice in the space of 12 months. And the engineers were not prepared to do what it takes to stop fatalities from happening. Even though they knew exactly what it would take, we weren't prepared to do it because of those rules that it would break. And in a separate location, another fatality uh, where the engineers did suggest a good solution and, and implemented it temporarily, there was actually the police who came out and said, well, you can't do that. We've got to deal deal with this issue with enforcement. And they could only see their solution and their, their problem through the views of, of enforcement. And that those were the moments when I realized not only are education enforcement and engineering not enough, they're, in some cases, because of the stovepipes that those disciplines are in, they're actively preventing us from solving problems that we know exist and we know yeah. how to solve. And I think yeah. the, the power of emotion is, gives us the ability to kind of break through that and say, listen, we just need to fix this problem. We know how to do it. It's often the case that the challenges or the barriers are, are less of a technical nature and really more of a, a political type of barrier. You know, we have such smart um, people out there, engineers, planners, law enforcement, policymakers, who know what works, whether that's about how to manage speed or how to redesign a road, how to build a complete street, right? We know what works to keep people safe. And I think, unfortunately, what we see is that there's sometimes pushback, right? It's often NIMBY pushback, you know, that not in my backyard sentiment where, you know, some residents or, or folks think they don't want any sort of change on their street. And of course, it's not their street, right? It's a public street. So, you know, I think part of what Vision Zero is doing, and, and really, again, it's bringing that, that emotion, that heart, and that experience into the work of traffic safety more predominantly, I think what that's doing is helping build more or push more political will to do the right things, even if they're the hard things, you know. Uh, we think a lot about, you know, oh, we, people don't want to slow down, right? You know, but we know they also want safety. When you ask people, of course, they want safety, you know, well, that's a trade-off, right? If we're going to have safer conditions, we need to slow people down a little bit. So how do we really, you know, bring more of the community or public, I'd say, outcry or, or call for the politicians, especially policymakers, to make the right decisions there and not just kind of crumble to that NIMBY push sometimes? 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great segue, actually, to another one of the E's. Um, so we have, we have an internal Vision Zero group here at Tool Design. And um, in that group, we share information across our offices. And we, we had a presentation the other day um, where someone had um, put up the high injury network map showing the streets that had the highest percentage of the crashes in that city. And they overlaid it with the old redlining maps of that city. Um, and lo and behold, mm. they were an almost perfect match. Have you seen Vision Zero projects change the conversation around equity in communities? It's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, having been a longtime advocate for better bicycling, safer bicycling, before I got more directly into the Vision Zero work, you know, I'll be the first to say, you know, many of us in the biking, the traditional, let's call it biking, walking advocacy movements and transportation safety movements, you know, I don't think we have a great track record around um, really uh, centering equity in our work. Um, I think there's certainly willingness and interest and desire, but, but not necessarily a great track record on that yet. I'll say that I do think the way Vision Zero has such a strong data-driven approach, um, first of all, you know, the, you can't deny some of the the realities and trends that come up in the data. And I'll just share a couple of things that national stats, national statistics show that specifically low-income people in the U.S. are twice as likely to be killed while walking. Um, African-American and Latino people in the U.S. are twice as likely to be killed while walking. Meanwhile, low-income neighborhoods and communities of color are half as likely to have good sidewalks, like consistent, safe, good sidewalks. So not a surprise there that that's an inverse relationship, right? And I mentioned those national statistics, you know, that may not shock people listening right now, but how our communities have been built out over time or perhaps not built out or underserved really has a lot to do with the, the you know, the safety patterns we see today and the, the kind of lives that people leave, lead. And today, a lot of communities, and especially those communities without real traditional kind of political power, live in neighborhoods and, and work and travel in neighborhoods that have been less safe. You know, they are the areas where the freeways touch down, where the high-speed, massive, multi-lane, arterial street road, you know, uh, state roads run through, and frankly, less comfortable sidewalks and safe sidewalks and good dedicated bikeways, et cetera. How can we use the work of Vision Zero and, you know, the emotion and the, the passion we're talking about that's really been missing from a lot of the traffic safety work? How can we bring that to bear to help our safety work be truly equitable? In the city I live in, in San Francisco, you know, like many cities, we're divvied up into a number of city council districts. For us, we have 11 different districts. And traditionally, each one of the council members would kind of have his or her pot of traffic safety funds that they would use in their district. But through the Vision Zero work over the last five years, and it really has been that recent, through the Vision Zero work, we've really been digging into the data, really showing that two of those districts bear the disproportionate burden or brunt of unsafe conditions. Interestingly, these are also areas where we have high numbers of low-income people, people without cars, transit-dependent, et cetera. Thanks to the Vision Zero focus, the city council members in my city have really recognized this and said, hey, we understand that we might need to divvy up this pie or the budget, the resources differently. So now more resources are going to those two districts that are really bearing the brunt. And the other supervisors or council members really understand and say, okay, you know, we get it. There's a difference between equality 
and equity. And I think that's a great case of it. Hey, Leah, I'll take you from where you live now to where you grew up in, in Jacksonville. <laughs> we, saw the, we saw the conversation change or try to use Vision Zero to change the conversation around traffic safety in Jacksonville because it's for years, I mean, it's a, it has a terrible traffic safety record. They, they don't shy away from it, but they've too readily sort of excused the problem by saying, well, it happens to people there or they're doing the wrong thing or in this neighborhood where they're not doing X, Y, or Z. And, and Vision Zero gives you the opportunity to say, it doesn't matter about that. We have mm-hmm. to stop people getting killed. And in Jacksonville, it's yeah. you know, 100 people a year in, in traffic fatalities, um, a third of which are, are pedestrians and a high percentage of those are in poor and underserved neighborhoods. And this gives you the opportunity to, to say, as, as you just described in San Francisco, we have to stop these crashes from happening. It doesn't matter who the victims are, we need to stop it. So one of the things that I always felt is, is the most powerful part of the Vision Zero movement is the fact that it's really centered on completely changing the way we do business, really. It's, a, it's rethinking the way we look at safety. And I was curious what are some good examples of um, things that cities have done, cities and counties and jurisdictions have done to, to change the way that, that they do business through the Vision Zero program. The big change here, the biggest change that Vision Zero makes happen is that this is an ethical responsibility. This is a moral responsibility, right? Just like people, we believe, people in a civilized society have the right to clean and safe drinking water, clean air to breathe, right? That's, that's really considered a, a basic right. We need to think of safe mobility as a basic right. That's really what's underlying all this. So, you know, I think in terms of how are we seeing communities actually really embrace that you know, I think we're seeing them change some of the, the long-held standards or, or push back and, and start to revise some of the long-held standards. And uh, Portland, Oregon has been doing such a great job around questioning the way we think about speed. And, and uh, by the way, lots of cities are doing this also. Charlotte, North Carolina is getting into this now. So it's not just your kind of typical left coasty cities, but um, we're seeing more and more communities say, hey, why are we setting these speeds at, you know, 45 miles per hour when we know there's going to be people walking and biking here and we don't want them interacting with cars moving at 45 miles per hour? Why aren't we setting them at 25, 30, or sometimes even lower, 15 or 20 miles per hour, depending on the situation? And, and really kind of turning this around to say, hey, we've got to prioritize safety over speed. It is a choice. That's more of a political choice, but it's also an ethical choice, right? So people are going to complain. They're going to get there maybe two minutes or five minutes later than they would have, or it's going to take them a little bit longer, but that's an ethical choice. So, you know, I think we're seeing more city council members, mayors, a staff of agencies push back and say, we have to do this because we don't want people to die. And I think we're seeing that with street redesigns too, you know, places like, again, New York City with the, um, what they call the Boulevard of Death, terrible name, but Queens Boulevard and the Boulevard of Death in Queens. You know, they were seeing tons of traffic deaths there, yet they weren't making the changes needed because there was so much pushback from, from a small number of vocal neighbors or residents. And finally, and again, I think this is partly because of the Vision Zero momentum and the emotion and, and the political power there, they have made major changes on Queens Boulevard, uh, even despite some pushback, and they are literally 
saving lives. They've seen a dramatic reduction in severe injuries and, and severe reduction in fatalities, thank goodness. But they weren't able to make those street design changes until they really brought that kind of moral or ethical uh, power or argument to the situation. To me, Vision Zero has brought a tremendous power to what New York City has done over the last few years. And a lot of the progress that we've seen there for safety, but also for bicycling and walking uh, is because of the Vision Zero mindset and the safe system approach to, to the work they're doing. And I think they're, you're seeing there exactly the kind of change that, that you're describing. They're, they're, they're willing to provide protected left turns to motorists for the benefit of motorists and pedestrians and to preserve the safety of people crossing uh, at intersections with left turns and, and, and so forth, even though that means a few seconds of delay or it means an extra few seconds in the signal cycle because it's worth it in terms of saving people's lives. And I think those changes, they can be hard for it. They can be highly political in the instant. But honestly, my guess is once they're done, people actually have no idea that any change has been made or they're not really conscious of any difference in their travel time or overall uh, trip comfort or, or convenience. Um, and, and before, you know, within a matter of days, it, it, that just seems routine and normal. So I think Vision Zero gives you the courage and the ability to, to say, you know, we're doing this exactly as you say, for ethical reasons, for moral reasons, for the right reason. And maybe it will cause a little bit of inconvenience, but honestly, within a matter of days and weeks, I'm sure that's largely forgotten. That's right. Yeah. I have a quick question that I want to want to ask Leah. You mentioned your your background shared with mine in the bike movement, yeah. um, our progression from that. What was it about Vision Zero that captured your attention yeah. and, and made you sort of not change course because it's clearly high, highly related sure. to bicycle advocacy, but what was it about Vision Zero that, that um, you know, set you on this course for the last two or three years with Vision Zero Network? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I really reacted um, strongly a few years ago. You know, I, I, my background was leading bicycle advocacy efforts in the city of San Francisco, and I loved it and you know, felt really proud of the work we were doing, et cetera. Lots more work to do, but good progress. But one year we had it was 2013 into 14, we had a particularly awful year with traffic deaths, particularly people biking and walking, as many places did around the country that we've really been trending badly these last couple of years. And I'll just say as an advocate, I was really feeling frustrated and frankly, kind of despondent about the, the lack of progress we were making. And, you know, as an advocate figuring out like, gosh, what do we do to be more effective? And policymakers elected, how do we push them to do the right thing? And I was really reading a lot about Vision Zero in Sweden and other countries. And then New York City was really just starting to, to publicly take this on. So as you know, New York City was really the first Vision Zero city in the U.S. And they were getting rolling. And I think for me, it really kind of clicked at that time that without this big underlying kind of moral argument, we aren't going to change business as usual. You know, we're just playing around the edges to really make kind of a seismic shift and get away from this tragic number of 100 traffic deaths a day in this country, more than 100 or 40,000 a year in the U.S., to really make a, a, a serious dent in that, which we have to, we're going to need to do things differently. And, and that's really where the Vision Zero piece, you know, struck me when we say, hey, this is a moral responsibility. And, and again, just like clean air and clean water, we have to be doing this in a civilized society. People have a right to get to work to get to school, to get to parks, to play and get some exercise. 
to get to friends' houses, to socialize. People have a right to safe mobility. And we really, frankly, we've been doing them a disservice in many of the systems and policies we've set up. So how do we start to question those long-time systems and policies to say there is a different way? And, and we as community members want to choose it. And hey, politicians, we're going to hold you accountable. I think that's really been, you know, to me, something very empowering where, you know, the advocacy for everyone, whether it's walking, biking, motorcycles, driving, transit, it all is under the same umbrella of everyone deserves the right to move around their community safely. Leah, you know, I think having a national advocacy group that's focusing on Vision Zero has been so important to um, helping provide resources and coordinate between cities. I know um, one of the first times I went to your website, I saw that map with all the Vision Zero cities, the cities that have made a pledge to um, eliminate deaths and, and serious injuries. And I'm just, I'm just curious, tell us a little bit more about the Vision Zero Network and the work that you do and how people can support you. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, we are a small nonprofit project. We've been around just about five years now. And it's really been you know, such an honor to be able to, to support this growing Vision Zero movement. Because you know, when you look back five and a half years, there were zero communities in the U.S. working on Vision Zero. And today, there's more than 42. So just in five years, that's been a really, really great you know, trajectory. And, and our work has really been, how do we support them? And like you said, how do we connect them? Because while every community is different, we share a lot of the same challenges and opportunities. So rather than people recreating the wheel and frankly wasting time and resources, we want people to, to connect and learn from each other. So we love, you know, we're always looking for supporters, whether that's business sponsors, individual supporters, pro bono helpers. Um, we are a nonprofit. So, you know, everything we do, we're raising our own funds. And, you know, we'd love to be able to reach more communities. I know we're all thinking a lot about, hey, how does Vision Zero grow in the suburbs, in rural areas, in other parts of the country, particularly, say, the South? We'd really love to expand this reach and help people do the good work. And if anybody can support us, we would love that. Check out more at visionzeronetwork.org. One of the things I admire most is, the, is your express commitment to kind of keeping the Vision Zero idea pure, like not letting people backtrack or come at it in a compromised manner. I yeah. love complete streets to death, but I think there's probably a lot of agencies that have adopted complete streets policies and get kudos for doing that but don't honestly live up to the principles and the ideals of complete streets, if, if one is completely honest. I love the way that I, I believe you're able to keep people focused on the two specific goals, zero fatalities and serious injuries by a defined time. And that, that's pretty key, I think, to your progress and success and sort of the magic of the endeavor in several of the communities I've worked on projects. The city starts by saying, can you tell us like what we need to do? What are the action items and action mm -hmm. strategies that we need to adopt? And they're kind of taken aback when we say, it's not for us to actually tell you what to do. We can, but you're not going to have any sense of ownership or any sense of what those action items really mean unless you come up with them yourselves. Mm -hmm. The people responsible and the agencies responsible across the disciplines, they're the ones who actually have to come up with the action items understand the real implications of what they mean and own them and implement them. And we can say, yep, that's a good way to go. And you'll find other cities have done X, Y, and Z that match that. 
it is not our role, and sometimes it's really tempting to to play that role, but it's not our role to just give them on a plate the the answers to to what they need to do. They've got to come up with it themselves. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it is important. I think for all of us, how do we help people understand that Vision Zero is not a slogan. It's not just a tagline. In fact, it's not even just a program, right? And I think at first people misunderstand maybe a little bit and, and they think, oh great, we'll just start calling our work, our regular work, Vision Zero. And you know, I think you know, at the local level, at the state level, at the national level, we need to really call people on that and, and help them understand, you know, as Jennifer was saying, it really is about transformative work and about changing business as usual. That is not gonna be fast. It's not gonna be easy. You know, we need to really help move out of our silos and and work across realms more regularly. Like we said, we need to bring the community in more. We need to use the data more. We need to hold ourselves more accountable and and really, you know, do what works, even if it's politically challenging. All those are hard things, but they are possible. You know, when we look to countries that used to have 20 years ago, they, they had the same traffic death rate we did. Today, the U.S. has about 12, roughly 12 traffic deaths per 100,000 people. And other countries, developed countries that had that same number 20 years ago, now are under three traffic deaths per 100,000. So they've cut their traffic deaths significantly in this 20 years by doing a lot of what we've talked about here. So it is possible, it's doable, and there's really no excuse for not doing it. So you know, I think the biggest thing we can do is really you know, keep making the case that this is an ethical imperative, that if, you know, folks care about their own families and their own friends' safety, you know, that this is the way to do it. We really need to commit to zero. All right. I think that's a great way to wrap this up. Um, just want to thank Leah for, for joining us today. Um, thank you, Andy, for joining us as well. And to thank you to everybody who's listening. Um, and next up, I'll be talking to Bill Schulteis and Jeff Pignotti with ITE about ethics. Leah, thanks a bunch for being part of the conversation and for really kind of embodying the ethics, the empathy, the equity element to the the conversation we're having around these E's. There's 27 other E's that we can and will talk <laughs> about over the next few weeks, I'm, I'm sure. But um, I hope you all see at the NACTO conference that we're going to start this conversation and kind of unveil the, the opportunity to talk about the new E's and um, hopefully give some extra attention to the work you're doing and that we're all doing and get us on a good track. So thanks for being part of the conversation today. Sure. And thank you guys. Honestly, thank you to Tool Design for being you know, such a strong leader in this field. I'm, you know, I'm always pleased to, to see you guys working with communities and seeing the you know, ethos and commitment to equity engagement in the work that you're helping communities do. It's really clear. So thank you. You can learn more about the Vision Zero Network in the show notes for this episode or on their website at visionzeronetwork.org. At Tool Design, this conversation has focused on changing the core values of our profession and focusing our work on the needs of the people and communities we serve. We are asking you to be part of this discussion around the new ease of our industry. For more perspective on the new ease, visit our website at tooldesign.com slash the new ease. Join the conversation on social media by searching for Tool Design with the hashtag the new ease. The New Ease of Transportation podcast is produced by Nate Graham and edited by K.O. Myers. I'm Jennifer Toole. Thank you for listening.